0: I'm Roxanne Cody, and welcome to Just the Right Book. We're a podcast for curious, enthusiastic, and engaged readers. Our job is to help you discover new books in all genres, give you unique insights to your favorite authors, and keep you up to date with what's going on in the literary world. I was just delighted uh, to be able to get to interview Alan Lightman. I've been a fan of his uh, since he wrote a book in the early 90s that I loved, It's little novel called Einstein's Dream, and he has uh, two books out uh, this year. One is called In Praise of Wasting Time, and the other, Searching for Stars on an Island in Maine, and I just feel like, given the sort of high speed of everything, uh, that reading Uh, these books and thinking about wasting time is probably an important message for us to have. So I hope you enjoy conversation with Alan. When was the last time you found yourself doing nothing or sitting in quiet contemplation or simply looking at the window? Most of us think of ourselves as constantly moving, scrolling through social media while talking to a friend on the phone answering emails and texts while in a meeting, listening to a podcast, while walking through the park. And this may seem productive and evidence that we are excellent multitaskers, but is it good for us? We are joined today by Alan Lightman, an eclectic physicist, novelist, and essayist whose new book, In Praise of Wasting Time, holds the notion that it isn't good for us. He believes we are losing ourselves in the digital network and builds a case that the overload of information and distractions from technology are making it harder for us and our children to stop and think and process. He believes we need a mental attitude that values and protects stillness, privacy, solitude, slowness, and personal reflection, or at the very least, A Half an Hour a Day to Waste Time. Alan Lightman, who has been described as the poet laureate of science writers, is a professor at MIT and author of over 20 books, including one of my all-time favorite novels, Einstein's Dream, and another new book that uh, he recently came out with called Searching for Stars on an Island in Maine. I hope my conversation with Alan will help us unplug and get the downtime that we all need, but don't put down whatever device you're using to listen to this podcast just yet. <laughs> Alan, welcome to Just the Right Book.
1: Thank you for having me, Roxanne.
0: Uh, so, Alan, my notion of you is always connected to time because of Einstein's dream, and in that novel, you give us a series of small uh, chapters that, while Einstein's coming up with his big theory has alternate theories about uh, time. Is this new book in praise of wasting time an evolution of that notion that you talk about in Einstein's dream, or did it come to you in a from a from a very different way of needing to address how we operate today?
1: Well, uh, the book Einstein's Dreams is about many different ways that time behaves, and uh, many of those relate to the psychological experience of time. And so I don't think there's any single timescape that's prominent over any others in that book. So I'm not sure that this new book is an outgrowth of that book. Uh, uh, That book was written in uh, the early 1990s, and I think that the new book is... This represents the experience that I've had since that time when uh, just since 1990 the world has gotten faster and faster and people are more connected to the Internet. Uh, so I, I think it's been what's happened in the last 25 years that's been more influential to me in uh, thinking about the importance of, of uh, spending time and reflection and solitude and and disconnected from the grid
0: what was it that converged for you to write this now although this was based on a ted talk that you gave earlier right
1: um i did give a ted talk a few years ago but it was not on this subject and i was going to give a ted talk uh, on this book and will give a ted talk on this book but has not taken place yet so there's a little bit of confusion yeah about that um but uh, uh, I've been very concerned over the last couple of decades of, about the loss of silences and the loss of slowness in our lives, and uh, I think that we are in a, in a dangerous, we have a dangerous trend going on in which we're moving faster and faster, and we feel an urgency to be connected to the Internet mm. all the time. Uh, People who have smartphones look at their phones every two or three minutes. Uh, teenagers send out one hundred and twenty text messages a day on average, and uh, I think that we're doing damage to our young people. Uh, I think that this lifestyle is is endangering our creativity. I think it's endangering our our sense of self and who we are, which requires quiet time for reflection. Uh, it's it's the, the dangers are not as obvious as uh, as the dangers of, of smoking, which gradually were recognized over a period of, of 20 or 30 years from the 1950s to the 1990s, or the environmental destruction, uh, which has now been recognized pretty much globally. I think the dangers to our inner self uh, from our hyperconnected, frantic life speed are not as obvious. They're more subtle. Mm.
0: But I think that
1: those dangers are still uh, very worrisome.
0: Yeah. So, Alan, let's talk about that in a couple of ways. One is you've been a teacher at MIT over these period of 25 years. Is, Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yes. So how have you seen how your students operate in the classroom or how they learn or given that you're at MIT, how their creativeness has changed, if you think about this arc of time?
1: Well, I think that the students that I've seen at MIT and elsewhere, they have shorter attention spans. And, of course, it's not just students, it's all of us. Right. Uh, when you're used to uh, multitasking, looking at split screens, uh, scrolling rapidly through uh, Screens on, on on your computer, I, I think that the one consequence of that is, is attention spans are shorter. Uh, so that's that's something that's, that's pretty clear. Um, the the damage to creativity is a little bit harder to recognize. Uh, MIT students are especially creative, and I can't say that I've noticed any uh, lessening of that, but I do know that there have been studies done of young people. There's a a creativity test called the Torrance Creativity Test, which has been given for many decades, and it measures, uh, it has tasks like uh, finding out how, which objects fit with other objects, and completing sentences, um, and so on, and... Those tests have shown that creativity among young people has declined since the mid-1990s. And that is approximately the date where the Internet became widespread. So some psychologists and sociologists, social scientists, uh, attribute that decline to the Internet and the, the, the diminishing attention span the need to be plugged in all of the time, the, the lack of time for uh, independent thinking and so on.
0: You know, I want to take a minute to read a paragraph that you've got in the book that goes back to what you talked about earlier earlier. You describe uh, the situation as dire, just as with global warming, we may already be near the point of no return, invisibly, almost without notice, we are losing ourselves. We are losing our ability to know who we are and what is important to us. We are creating a global machine in which in which each of us is a mindless and reflexive cog, relentlessly driven by the speed, noise. An artificial urgency of the wired world. So that's a pretty gloomy. Um, yeah. b- but I, th- you know, but I think lots of us would agree. So we're not going to unwire the world, right? The world's no. not going to no. go backwards that way. No. But you have some thoughts on remedies that each of us can consider. As a mitigating factor, share mm-hmm. those with us.
1: Well, I think that that and that there are different things that we can do in different age groups and different life circumstances. I, I think that in in elementary school and high school, I think that there should be a ten-minute period of each day where there's complete silence, and it can be in the homeroom period. Uh, that may seem seem trivial or ch- cheesy, but I think. That, that having a, a period of silence in the school day uh, sends a powerful message to the students. It, it helps them begin developing a new habit of mind. I had a, a teacher who taught in uh, high school in Arlington, Massachusetts, for many years, and she developed a, a, a practice of every beginning of every class of ringing a bell and asking the students to be quiet for four minutes, just four minutes. Uh, and she found it did wonders for their attentiveness, uh, their their academic performance, um, yes. their sense of centeredness. So I would recommend uh, ten minute periods of silence in the school day for for high school uh, in, in college and university. I would recommend that there be some specially designated courses you'd call them reflective courses or, or whatever where the, the workload was decreased, but with the extra time available, the students would be encouraged to reflect on what they're learning. I think many of our colleges and universities, they throw so much material at the students at such a fast rate that they don't have time to digest what they're, what they're learning and, and reflect on it. I think that in the home, that there should be a, or maybe an hour, could be dinner time where we unplug all devices, turn off all devices, and just have quiet conversation. I think that, that people can build in 20 minutes a day into their day to, to take a walk without their smartphones or just sit quietly in a chair and do nothing. And, of course, when I say do nothing, I, I don't mean that the mind goes to sleep. Uh, the mind can be very active, but it's not concentrating on a particular task. There's, there's not, it's not a goal-oriented period of time. Mm-hmm. And I think that in the workplace, that in every workplace, there should be a quiet room where the employees are allowed to and encouraged to spend a half an hour a day there without their devices. They, they can just sit quietly. They can meditate. They might read quietly. Uh, it would not be part of the lunch hour, it would be something in addition. Mm-hmm. And, and some companies have actually experimented with, with having uh, meditation rooms uh, in their buildings and that has actually increased productivity. Mm-hmm. So wasting time is, is, is a, a phrase that, that has a certain amount of, of irony and it. wasting time can actually end up being very productive. Mm. But, but you're not pushing your mind to a goal-oriented task. You're, you're letting your mind wander and letting it think about what it wants to think about. And uh, a lot of the, the, the greatest creative thought from scientists, artists, all kinds of people has occurred when they are letting their minds wander. Uh, the musical com- composer Gustav Mahler used to take three-hour walks after lunch and just wandering through the countryside and, and new musical ideas would come to him. And the writer Gertrude Stein used to take drives through the countryside and get out of her car and just look at cows when she was working on uh, some writing piece. Uh, so I think that, uh, that we have lots of ex- examples of creative people needing time to unplug.
0: Mm. And Alan, you know, one of the things that I was struck by in reading your book and and now in the conversation about how to remedy it, that I really liked is I, like everybody else, like simple answers to things, you know, mm-hmm. simple, quick answers. Mm-hmm. And what I think is um, pretty exquisite about the recommendations that you're making is they're doable. You know, mm-hmm. they don't feel like it's trying to – turn the world backwards or turn it upside down but merely literally find the space within the way we live to create moments of disconnect and well disconnect from the world and connection to our own selves
1: right yeah and it's really about honoring your inner self you know honoring silences honoring slowness honoring contemplation and, and honoring yourself. If you don't have time to, to think about who you are and where you've been and where you want to go and your values, you you, you don't have really a, a, a self-identity.
0: Mm. It, it you know, reminds me of two things. One is, I think I have this right. You'll probably know better, but I think I just read about an experiment that was done within the last number of years where uh, the participants in the experiment are given a device that delivers a shock. Mm-hmm. And um, they experience the shock before the experiment begins, so they know that it's painful. Mm-hmm. And then they're asked to sit in a space uh, for, I think, 12 minutes. Mm-hmm. And in utter silence with no device except this thing that could deliver a shock. Mm-hmm. and that some surprisingly high percentage of people mm-hmm. rather deliver the shock to themselves than continue to sit in silence.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, uh, uh, I do talk about that, that experiment in my book. And
0: oh, it, that's where I got it. <laughs> it, it
1: it's, it's a marvelous experiment, really metaphorical for everything we're talking about. The the. the, the experiment was done in a collaboration between the University of Virginia and Harvard University with students from both of those institutions. Uh, But you're absolutely right. A large number of the students, 30 to to 50 percent, would rather have a painful electric shock than have no external stimulation whatsoever for 10 or 15 minutes.
0: Yeah, you know, that really... That really riveted my attention Mm -hmm. to think about how drastic our kind of impulses have become to avoid silence. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's kind of scary. So the other book I read this summer was Searching for Stars on an Island in Maine. Now, I have to let our listeners know that I have a distinct bias. Um, I have a home in Maine, in Castine. And I find um, this perch in my yard overlooking the Penobscot and the Camden Hills to be the most peaceful place on the planet. So when I read a title like Searching for Stars on an Island in Maine, I am naturally attracted to it. But as a further point to your book that we're discussing, would you share with our listeners the story... Uh, that you tell in the opening chapter of your book on searching for stars.
1: Yes, um, and I have to preface that the story by saying that I'm I'm a physicist and have been for many years, and I've always had a scientific view of the world, meaning that that the world is made out of material atoms and molecules, and nothing more, nothing nothing but atoms and molecules, and that that every Thing in the world, every phenomenon, every object is is subject to uh, certain laws, uh, cause and effect, and so on. So, um, my wife is a painter, and uh, every summer we spend on this little island in Maine, and it's a it's a tiny island with only six families, and there are no roads or bridges or ferries to the island, so everybody has their own boat. And my story concerns a particular summer night very late after midnight when I was coming back to the to the island in my boat and it was a moonless night clear and the sky was glittering with stars and taking a chance I turned off the running lights of the boat and it got even darker and then I turned off the engine and it got even quieter and I lay down in the boat and looked up And after a few minutes, I felt like my world was dissolving into those stars. Uh, The boat disappeared, my body disappeared, and I felt like I was falling into infinity. Um, I felt like I was connected to something much larger than myself. And the, the vast expanse of time, going back to the far distant past long before I was born, and then going to the far distant future long after I would be dead. That that vast expanse of time seemed compressed to a dot. After a while, I don't know how long, I set up and turned the engine back on.
0: There's a reason that you're referred to as the poet laureate of scientists, Alan. That description and that piece in the book alone I think was motivating to me and would be to others to go back to the first book we were talking about uh, in praise of wasting time because that piece, that chapter reminded me of how we miss so much beauty, Mm -hmm. right? Because we're high-speeding it through something. Mm -hmm. So I I, I, want to thank you for, All your books, I haven't read all of your books, but the three that I've read, Searching for Stars on an Island in Maine, In Praise of Wasting Time and Einstein's Dream, are always books that give me pause and encourage me to think about leaving space for things. So hopefully that does that for gazillions of other people as well, and it's a gift uh, that you've given to all of us. Thank you. Roxanne, thank you. Uh, Alan, my last question, which I ask all our guests, is what is the book that changed your life?
1: Oh, many books have changed my life. I can't really... Pick one? Uh, if I just pick one out of many books. I might pick um, Franz Kafka's The Trial. Mm. Uh, but there, there are so many books that I... Love, uh, I love uh, Mrs. Dalloway, mm-hmm. and I love Michael and uh, The English Patient. Mm. Uh, they're just uh, a, a whole bunch of books that that have influenced me, and I think that that, that, that all writers are influenced by a whole constellation of books, mm-hmm. and that that when you write that you're 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 sort of channeling. Uh, all of the great books that you've read
0: Mm -hmm. all right i'll let you get away with that alan (laughs) (laughs) reluctantly i'll let you get away with that well thank
1: you it's it's very very generous of you to let me be on your program roxanne thank you
0: oh well i i really appreciate your taking the time and I look forward. Are you working on another book already?
1: I am working on another book. It's totally different from the books that we've been talking about. Um, I've been going to Southeast Asia for about 15 years where I started started an organiz, organization to help empower young women. And over the course of that time, I've absorbed a lot about the culture there. It's a, a very male-dominated uh, society in those countries and I'm 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 finishing up a novel about a farming family in Cambodia.
0: Oh my God, Alan, you just you just startle me. I can't wait. When is that gonna come out?
1: Well that'll be out in about a year. Okay. It's, it's going to be published by Counterpoint Press. Yep. And it's been really a work of the heart.
0: Well I I think of the books of yours that I have read to be the work of a heart and As an accountant who's now a bookseller, I appreciate um, the idea of trying to mingle the left and right sides of our (laughs) brains. You do that pretty exquisitely. Thank you very much, Alan.
1: Well, thank you, Roxanne.
0: Thanks again to Alan Lightman. Alan's book, In Praise of Wasting Time, is available now as is Searching for Stars on an Island in Maine. And next week on our Just the Right Book podcast, you'll hear my conversation with Kate Walbert, who joined me to chat about her latest novel, His Favorites, another book you're going to have to pick up to read. We'd love to hear from you. Please continue to send us your emails at info at justtherightbookpodcast.com or message us on our Facebook or Twitter page. Just the Right Book podcast is produced by Collisions, the podcast division of CRN International. Our original new music was created by Mark Berman. Our producer is Christina Torres. And our audio engineer is Pat Keo. Thank you all so much for listening.